ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, the post-week one Peter King Podcast and the pre-week two podcast. Happy to be joined, as I'm going to be joined this year throughout the season, with Miles Simmons from NBC and Pro Football Talk. And Miles, listen, you're in for a rollicking ride because I talk a lot and sometimes I just simply can't be interrupted because what I'm saying is so important. Well, that makes you a sports writer, right? I think that most of us <laughs> tend to do the same thing. And frankly, I'm used to working with Mike Florio. So, I mean, can that really be any worse? <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how you are by the end of the year. But anyway, welcome. Miles is going to be on with us throughout the football season on the Peter King podcast. And we've got a fun one for you today. Uh, we've got an extended conversation with Austin Eckler of the Los Angeles Chargers, who is in the news this week because the Chargers have a huge Thursday night game in Kansas City. And I appreciate him giving me some time on Tuesday night of his very, very busy week. And, you know, Miles, it was so interesting. The thing I really wanted to talk to him is how does the human body rebound from playing an NFL game on Sunday and coming back flying halfway across the country and playing another NFL game on Thursday? Not to mention that these two games are two of the biggest games of your season. So you'll get a kick out of listening to Eckler and hearing him discuss exactly what he feels like hint he's pretty sore anyway I want to get into the news of the week and then we are going to get into some little nagging tributary stories from week one Uh, for instance Miles and I are going to talk about whether Dallas should stay with Cooper Rush should they go get a quarterback Uh, We're going to talk about how much trouble the two Super Bowl teams are in, both losers in week one, Cincinnati and the Rams. We're going to talk about whether the New York Giants can be a back-to-the-future team. Can they be a team that runs the ball? The last time anybody ran it 60% of the time in a season 
was the Pittsburgh Steelers with Jerome Bettis. Can Saquon Barkley be that guy for the Giants? And and finally, we're going to discuss what in the world is Robert Sala doing? I mean, you don't win uh, urinating contests with with uh, either the fans or the media, especially when you're four and 14 as a head coach. Anyway, we'll get into all that and we'll hear from Austin Eckler. But first, Miles, obviously the big story of the week is the decision that Denver coach Nathaniel Hackett made with 20 seconds left against the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night, choosing to go on fourth and five from the Seattle 46-yard line, choosing to go for a field goal instead of putting the ball in Russell Wilson's hands. Now, after the game, of course, uh, Nathaniel Hackett defended what he did, and he said, hey, listen, we set a line of demarcation, the 46-yard line, and if we got to that, then we were going to allow Brandon McManus the opportunity, our kicker, the opportunity to attempt a field goal from there. And I think everyone was shocked to hear him defending it, seeing that Brandon McManus had never made a field goal longer than 61 yards in his career. Okay, But seemingly, after maybe a night of fitful sleep on an airplane flying back from Seattle to Denver, um, he quasi came to his senses. Not totally. Let's listen to... Uh, Nathaniel Hackett in his press conference on Tuesday in Denver. Looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Um, just not, not you know, one of those things. You look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We were expecting to go for it on fourth down. And then you hit the mark. You know, the mark that we had all set before we started. We said uh, 46 yards. 46-yard line was where we wanted to be, and uh, we got there. So we had to make the decision if we wanted to give it to, our, you know, Brandon, and we did. And it didn't work. It sucks. But, hey, that's part of it. Miles Simmons, your reaction? Uh, I, I, I almost like it less because coaches always talk about process versus results, right? And so, really, Nathaniel Hackett is saying, at least in the way I interpret it, that we're looking at this and we look back at it and we say, well, the result is what we didn't like, so, of course, we should have gone for it. And no, I mean, you shouldn't have gone for it in the first place because a 64-yard field goal in Seattle to try and win the game doesn't make any sense. I mean, when you think about what they had there, if you, it wasn't just that they had 20 seconds left, right? I mean, the, for the play before on third and 14 started with a minute and 11 seconds left on the clock. And so basically what Nathaniel Hackett is saying is that if Javante Williams had not gotten all the way down to make it fourth down and five, if it were, I guess, fourth down and six, then they would have still sent Russell Wilson and the offense back out there and they would have gone for it. And to me, that's a process question and that's a process failure. How can it be that you get to fourth down and five and you're going to say, yes, let's send our field goal kicker out there and do something that's really not something that he can do or something that he's shown an ability to do. At what point did they see Brandon McManus hitting a 64 yard field goal? Was it in pregame? Like what made them think that that would be a good solution? 
I don't like the process and I don't like the result. But like I said, if you're going to be process driven and coaches always talk about being process oriented, any process that lets you say, yeah, it's fourth down and five. And instead of going for it with the quarterback that we paid all this money to the quarterback that we invested all this draft capital in a quarterback who has a history of making big play after big play after big play. Any process that gets you to say, yeah, a 64-yard field goal attempt is a bad process to me. Okay, two reactions, and you're absolutely right in what you say. That was going to be part of <laughs> part two of what I was going to say. Uh, but my two reactions are very, very simple, okay? <clears throat> when coaches say that, okay, you know, the kicker, uh, we talked to the kicker, and uh, the kicker and the special teams coach and whoever. And they said, yeah, I'm good from, if you get it to the 46, I'm good. I'm good. Well, I mean, what kicker is ever going to say, you know, I'd feel a lot better if this was a 58-yarder. You know, and it's very easy when you're kicking the ball in the pregame. It's very easy to say, I feel great anything uh, from 64 yards and in, okay? Mm -hmm. And the reason that this is a faulty bit of logic by Nathaniel Hackett is that most kickers are going to be emboldened by how they feel in the pregame and by how they look in the pregame and say, oh, I feel great, leg is fresh, I feel good, I can make it from 64, okay? But as the coach, your job is not just to say, hey, where do you feel good from? How do you, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. Your job is to make a decision on this. Brandon McManus' longest field goal in his career is 61 yards. He had missed all three other 60-plus yarders he had attempted in his career before this. So first of all, you know the odds are not in your favor then anyway. And secondly... The NFL has been alive for 103 years and there have only been two field goals of 64 yards or longer. There's been a 64 yep. and a 66. Okay, so, so let's not say that our goal is to get to the point where we can try a 64-yarder and we were feeling good about that. I'd feel damn crummy about that, honestly. Exactly. You know, to get to... To, to have a 64-yard attempt. And, and look, I have looked, I counted six analytics uh, agencies or, or people who do analytics, football outsiders, next-gen stats, uh, you know, a bunch of them. There's not a single one that didn't, there's only one who was close to saying, this is close. Okay, but yeah. most of them were overwhelmingly saying, you got a better chance to win this game if you go for it on fourth and five with Russell Wilson as your quarterback. You know, most of them were between 40 and 50% that he was going to make fourth and five, okay? It certainly isn't between 40 and 50% that Brandon McManus is going to make by three yards the <laughs> longest field goal in his career. Okay, yeah. so that's that. The second part of this and the very simple part of it is what I heard in what Nathaniel Hackett says, and this has been a little bit of a criticism of him early on, 
which probably is a little bit unfair. But this is your team, Nathaniel Hackett. This is not Brandon McManus's team. This yep. is not Russell Wilson's team. Right. It's great to give a lot of power to the players. I love that because the players are the ones out there doing it. But you know what? You are the adult in the room. You're the one who have to, who you have to make tough calls. And in this particular case, there was a tough call to make and you chose to go with a kicker even though all evidence to the contrary, you shouldn't have done that. So, so my only advice, and I like Nathaniel Hackett. He's a really smart guy. As I wrote in my column a couple of weeks ago, after the Russell Wilson contract was signed, I'm telling you, Russell Wilson has sat with a lot of offensive coaches in his life. He considers Nathaniel Hackett a savant. And so everybody is going to laugh at that now. You know, I don't know whether Nathaniel Hackett is a savant. I think he's really a smart guy. But again, you've got to basically take a step back and coach this team and make decisions from logic bases instead of making decisions trusting your players. And I know that's not necessarily a popular thing for a head coach to do. But in this particular case, I think Nathaniel Hackett failed the test. Absolutely, he failed the test. And look, it's it's a game management issue. And, you know, you can be an offensive savant. And then when you get to the game, when you're the head coach, there's a lot more going on. Right? It's not just can you get the play called right. You know, it's can you get the yeah. play in on time. And that's another thing that we saw that was an issue in this game. There were more than one delay a game penalty. Uh, they suffered more than one delay a game penalty because the play was not coming in quickly enough. And so I, I don't think that this means that Nathaniel Hackett's going to be a bad head coach. I don't. I mean, it's his first time out there ever as a head coach. But I do think that when it comes to the game management situations, there's a lot that he can improve on and he's got to do it quickly because especially in the AFC West, that division is too darn good and has got too many talented players for them to kind of, you know, get the wheels spinning slowly. Like this has to be corrected and corrected very quickly. You know, when coaches say we've got a lot to clean up, that's the latest cliche the last yes. two or three years. It's yes. an easy way to say, well, we did this in a crappy way. We, we botched this. <laughs> you know, instead yeah. of just saying we botched this, they say, well, we got a lot to clean up. Right. I would bet that in the first week of this NFL season, of the 32 teams, I would bet on average the Denver Broncos snap the ball on offense with the least amount of time on average on the play clock of any team in the league. Yeah. And and look, I mean, it's very noisy in in Seattle. And and I understand that, I get that. But man, they have got to quote clean up end quote their process of getting the play in and calling the play at the line of scrimmage. Look, there's a thousand more things to talk about with that game, but we've got to get to Austin Eckler. And uh, we will get to some other things in the uh, back half of the podcast after we talk to Austin Eckler. But 
I talked to Eckler after he got home from the couple of walkthroughs that the Los Angeles Chargers had on Tuesday. No physical practice at all in this game week as they prepare to go to Kansas City to face uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And by the way, you know, they've won at Arrowhead Stadium twice in the last, whatever, three or four years. And so this is not an impossible task by any stretch, even though we all saw what Kansas City did going to Arizona. Anyway, so let us get to Austin Eckler, and we'll be back with you after Eckler to dissect other things from week one in the National Football League. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So we're back with Austin Eckler of the Los Angeles Chargers. And Austin, I have always, always, you know, really admired your path. I want to get into your path a little bit. But there's two other things that I think are important to talk about right here this week as you go into the Thursday night game in Kansas City. The first is you have a bobblehead. I'm a <laughs> huge bobblehead fan. Oh, and no I want to see your bobblehead. And I want you to tell me the origin story of it. So, I yeah, I did not know that you were a bobblehead fan. But, yes, I do have the bobblehead sitting here right here. Obviously, it's me playing the guitar, which is the signature move in the end zone. Uh, so the origin story actually came from about three years ago um, where we had a company reach out to us and they're like, hey, we make custom bobbleheads. We've made a custom one for Austin. Um, and, you know, it's not that's actually not the best story because so they're like, OK, let's get it made. And uh, we get them made. They make a thousand of them, right? And I I get the first box that they're made on, and they spelled my last name wrong. Oh my god! I know, I know. So yeah, so my first bobblehead experience. The bobblehead looks great though, but the, just the box has the last name spelled wrong. But yeah, that's. Mm. Let's see the reference. Okay, that's, so that's wait a minute. Good. Does this one good. have the names spelled right? It's just yeah, it's just on the box. So if okay. you look at, oh, okay. if you look right. at it on the back, it says Austin Eckler. It's spelled yeah, correctly. good. I like that. Yes, good. but yeah, it's pretty good. They did a pretty good job. Yeah, I like it a lot. What about you and the guitar? What's your story? Um, so the guitar started when 
um i was back in college i was like man like we were jamming out i just love rock music um all types of it you know heavy metal rock classic rock um and so we were jamming out back in college i was like if i ever get to the nfl like i hit a hit a you know a guitar in the end zone right let me pull it out for you right so i was like you know i'm just gonna like like hit it because that's how i feel like a rock star would feel like on stage you know just jamming out to the guitar when everyone's going crazy for you and so that's the origin and i just stuck with it because it was like you know i could switch up my my celebration every time but then it's like oh no one ever remembers that but now you know it's kind of a staple of when i get in the end zone you're gonna expect to see that <laughs> so uh you know, that is really interesting because I never knew. I always saw you doing this weird thing, like playing the guitar. You score a touchdown. And I say, what in the <laughs> world is that? Yeah. So now we know. That's right. You know, I feel like just imagine like the opening song of, you know, uh, some any concert. Right. And everyone's Whoop! like, that's what it feels like. I feel like to score a touchdown. It's like everyone's just going crazy and you're just out there rocking. <laughs> All right. So what's the best concert of your life? What's the best show you've ever seen? So I have not been to a lot of shows. Um, I just recently met uh, Alice in Chains and some of, saw some of their show. That was a great show. And uh, Breaking Benjamin, uh, they were playing together. Um, so I just recently went to that one. Uh, but yeah, I have not been to many shows. So. Why have you not been to many shows? Uh, I just don't think I grew up around that. And so I just... I guess it hasn't been a priority for myself. You know, I think growing up out there in the ranch out in Colorado uh, was more towards just focusing on what we had at the moment um, and didn't really get those luxuries uh, of going to shows or skiing and enjoying the mountains or anything. What was the music you listened to as a kid, like in high school? Ooh, what, was your, high what was your music? So back then it was usually country or like some type of like hip hop as that was starting to become popular now. Um, so it was like hip hop and country back in the day wow. yeah pretty yep. good yeah um so austin one of the things that is so interesting to me about the nfl is the 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 sort of trials you guys have to go through sometimes and you're in the middle of one right now you are going to get on a plane we're recording this on tuesday night and you're going to get on a plane on Wednesday midday and fly halfway across the country to uh, Kansas City and play a game on very, very short rest. So mm -hmm. I thought that it would be interesting for people to hear exactly what that is like. And mm -hmm. so I want to go through your week and just ask you what a week like this is like. You have a very emotional win uh, on Sunday against the Raiders at home. And when you walk off the field after that game, tell me what hurts and what do you feel like, man, I really am going to need to get some treatment for the game on Thursday. So I'm going to be feeling pretty good. Anything hurt? Oh yeah. The body definitely hurts, but I, I kind of want to go back on what you're saying as the trial, because I feel like that can relate to so many people, right? We all have different you know, hardships that we have to go through, through, through our life. And the, you know, for us in the NFL season injury, just trying to stay healthy through the whole thing is an entire trial, but even more so on the Thursday night game, like you're saying, right. Because as of now, I'm sitting here, like my shoulders are still sore, right. Today's usually our day off, you know, but it's not if, you know, I don't know when people are watching this, uh, but 
we're on Tuesday here, right? It's usually our day yes. off. And so my shoulders are still sore. Like my hip is still sore. My quads are still sore from getting hit. And so usually it takes three to four days, which on the fourth day after we play is when we're going back out there, but it usually takes three to four days to actually heal up and I can get a good lift and I can feel like, okay, I'm ready to play again. Um, and then we have a little bit more time after that. And so what, what happens is Right as soon as the game ends, after the game, immediately, we bring all of our dry needling, all of our massage, all of a cold tub, hot tub trainers. We're already starting treatment immediately when the game ends. We broke it down. Coach passed out some game balls in the locker room. It was like, all right, straight to treatment uh, because we're trying to get a jump start. But one thing that we can't, you know, obviously make up is the time that it takes um, so that's why I'll go into this game with my shoulders still being sore and my hips still being sore. Um, and so that's one of the one of the things that, you know, we had to deal with as NFL players was a Thursday night game. But we understand what it what it brings to the, you know, the dynamic of the of the sport of having that one solo game as far as revenue and the business side, but definitely harder on the body. OK, so when you say you did all that stuff, tell me what exactly did you do on Sunday night? Right. So Sunday night, you know, we break it down and then I'm immediately, I don't know how detailed I'm getting in the shower and I'm going straight to the recovery room. And so I'll go put these Norma tech. Is that in the stadium? Yeah. In the stadium, we brought it all with us. Um, So I got these big old inflatable things on my legs that like squeeze my legs and have my feet like elevated. Compression pants. Yeah. Yeah. They call the Norma techs and they're squeezing, squeezing blood out of my legs. Right. And so I can get new flush in there. It's similar to like what happens during a workout, it's just blood moving around. Um, just trying to keep down inflammation and then let new blood come in there with new nutrients and things like that. And then also jumping in the ice bath as well uh, to continue to keep this blood circulating, really just trying to get, like reshock the body as far as like, okay, like, we're not trying to swell up right now. We're trying to stay maintained so that we can play here and again. It actually came out of the game pretty good. Um, it's it's week one. So that I think helps as well. We're not as banged up, you know, down the road. Um, so coming out of week one, feeling feeling good after the first game. I hope so, because we got a long season. Um, and then Norma Tech hot cold tub, and then it's called the night for me. So the game would have ended at about 4:30 Pacific time. You get the shower, you do all that stuff. It's whatever, 5.15. How late were you at the stadium on Sunday? Ooh. Um, I think we left at like 6.30. Um, yeah. So nothing nothing crazy late. Um, I had an interview at 7.30, and I think, yeah, just, just got home just in time for that. Because um, we, don't, we don't actually stay up in L.A. We're like down south, right? So we have right. about an hour drive uh, after the game, so – yeah, go home about seven, six thirty. And so, what did you feel like when you woke up on uh, on Monday morning? So, yeah, Monday morning, wake up. It's kind of like the day after is always. I feel like the day that you feel the worst. <laughs> like after the game, you still have a little bit of adrenaline. Like you still can get around a little bit. But it's the day after where you start to see and you see the guys coming in. They got the limp, the limp going. Uh, and I'll come in. Yeah, that's why I said I started to feel my shoulders. Like, dang, I didn't know my shoulders were this sore after the game. Um, but, I mean, that's the first time I've worn shoulder pads for that long. And obviously getting hit in real life uh, football also plays a toll on that. So my shoulders and then, my, like I said, my hip. You know, it's the hip. Like, my hip didn't hurt after the game until I got home. And then it starts stiffing up on me. And then the next morning you wake up, it's like, okay, yeah, that's that's definitely sore. And then so we go through, like, a little routine of rolling out and, you know, all these yoga moves and stuff like that trying to just make sure we're not getting too stiff you know in our training room 
And you guys as a team, you don't really practice at all this week, right? You just do walkthroughs, right? Yeah. So we can, we still consider it a practice um, because it's, it's more mental, but it's just less physical. Um, so we're still like absolutely locked in, making sure we're focused on our technique and fundamentals and uh, being in the right spot and communicating all that. It's just, yeah, taking the actual physicals uh, part out of it. Cause usually on Tuesdays, right. Is our off day. And so now yeah. we don't have that. So we're straight into it. I just, you know, I'm curious. And I remember I asked Justin Herbert this in camp. I said, man, you've got, two of your biggest games of the year right off the bat, you know, because this division is basically one of the toughest divisions ever. And you've got to play a rival that you had these mega games with last year in the Raiders. And then you've got to play probably the best team in the last five years in the AFC Mm -hmm. on the road in a very, very short week. And I wonder I might say this all seems unfair. It's great for the, uh, you know, it's great for everybody is really excited that there's mm-hmm. going to be a big game, you know, mm-hmm. two of the best teams in the AFC playing on Thursday night. Everybody's really excited as a player. What do you say? I mean, I'm also excited for those exact reasons that you said, because the stage is so big that that's such a great opportunity for us to go out there and compete. We play for a lot of reasons, but when you can add those things that you're talking about, it adds more on to why we're playing, right? It adds more on to the actual, you know, meaning of that game for us. So we feel that we definitely feel that as players and it's a great stage for us to go out and show what we can do. And if you can capitalize, it's going to bring more opportunities for you as far as all the things off the field and, you know, across the league when everyone's at home watching the game. So that's why I love about Thursday night and all the primetime games. Okay. So um, when you wake up on Thursday morning at your hotel in Kansas city, mm-hmm. will you feel a little like limited sore in pain or do you think during the day the adrenaline will sort of overcome that? Or 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 what percent of Austin Eckler will we see <laughs> on Thursday night? You'll see 100% of what I got left, uh, which, you know, I'll definitely have some some sore spots, you know, we'll see what's going on with this hip. Um, you know, it's just right on the bone. Um, so that'll probably still be sore. Um, that might even still be sore for a whole week. You know, this is, this is a violent game we play. Uh, but yeah, I would say it's pretty close to a hundred percent because we're, we're still week two, right? This is week two. We just started. So this is the first time I've gotten hit. And since last, you know, time we played the Raiders in January, you know, so my body's still really fresh. So yeah, you'll definitely get a hundred percent. Like, I don't think that that first game, it really affected me that much. Austin, I, I wonder about this. I mean, I've always thought that even though it's really hard to play a game on Thursday night, there's also the benefit of having that little mini buy after it. Mm-hmm. Like Mike McCarthy once told me when he coached the Packers, he said, and I said, oh, you're playing on Thanksgiving. That's got to be rough. And he goes, honestly, <clears throat> he said, I would bet the majority of our players are happy because then they get four days off on the other side of it and they can go do what they want. They can travel, they do it. And they normally would not get to do that. 
And the other part of this one that I would think if I were you, I wouldn't hate is that everybody only has one of these Thursday games and you're getting yours in very, very early. Is there any benefit to that? Do you think this is, I probably asked this like three or four times and I'd still back and forth on it because what you're saying is completely true. The, the few extra days after is very nice as a player to kind of, you know, get a reset, but it's like, we just started. So do we don't really need a reset yet. You know, that's, you know, yeah. we'll, that would be the negative of having it this early. Um, but also, like we said, you know, a little bit more fresh going into it. So, you know, that could be as far as the injury. I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we've seen the statistics. Injuries aren't really that much higher, if at all, on Thursday night games. Um, so for me, I think I would still rather have it later in the season um, just for that, like, mini buy weekend. Um because it's just when we're getting beat up down the road, a lot of times we're going to need a week or two where it's like, dang, I wish we had like a few more days because then we could get someone back. Um, but they might have to miss a game because they're just not ready, just on the edge and fringe of being ready. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. We'll take it. You know, Amazon wanted us for their first for their first primetime game. So uh, we'll uh, go give them a show. There's something kind of cool about that, too, because they really wanted you guys. Mm-hmm. And they wanted Mahomes and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And and plus, I think uh, having been to a lot of games over the years at Arrowhead, now you know what it's like. It's a great atmosphere for football, isn't it? Describe it really is. Like. It really is. The culture over there with the Chiefs is 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 unreal. It really is. Like the fans are so into it. You know, they're all every game coming all out. They got their little chance. They do uh, like, they really make it feel like, wow, this is a really special place to play. Even as an away, even as an away uh, team, right. Going in there, even the booze coming in there. Like, I love that. Like that gets me so excited uh, when I hear just the energy of a stadium come alive, especially when, you know, it's chiefs chargers, you know, divisional game where it's extra loud. Um, and I feel like we got a little extra level. We used to have Phillip too. Cause I don't think they really liked him. Uh, so that was always fun. Uh, but yeah, you know, yeah, Philip Rivers was not the eminently likable guy, was he? <laughs> you know, for, for opposing teams. Yeah, he definitely gave a reason to uh, to heckle him for sure. <laughs> it's kind of nice. It's kind of cool because uh, Justin Herbert is almost too nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Mr. Nice Guy. And nobody hates him. I'm sure opponents don't love him, but it's hard to hate Justin Herbert. Right. Yeah, he's not giving them a reason. He's not in their ear telling them that they're lined up wrong or telling them that they're, you know, sorry or things that Phil used to say, but never, ever swear. But just how he would trash talk all the defenders or the refs or, you know. Um, yeah, he's not, Justin isn't doing that type of stuff. Not yet. Maybe, maybe he'll get a little, little spark in him. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see. (laughs) So I'll tell you my little story from training camp about Justin Herbert that, uh, that he was, uh, you were playing the Cowboys. You had a couple of days of practices against the Cowboys. And so he didn't like one of the passes he threw in this one practice. And so he was going to stay after practice. And I would bet he threw 70, 60 or 70 of the exact same throws, the exact same route. You know, he just threw it over and over and over again. Yeah. And I asked him why afterwards. And he goes, hey, he goes, I don't have time to get really kind of ticked off 
in practice. You're on to the next play. But I file away, I remember, and, and I always think to myself, I am not going to make that same mistake again. Mm-hmm. And that's why he does it. He seems to be like this ultimate perfectionist. Yeah. What's it like to, to play with him? It's he really loves the game of football. Why is why he's like that? Like just in general, he really loves the game. Like I remember he was in an interview and someone asked him if what he would be doing if he wasn't playing football. He said he'd be coaching football. Like he just he just loves football in general. So it makes sense why he's like that, right? He wants to be it, make sure he's on it. He knows that he can lead us as a team, as the quarterback, get us in the right position, and that he can physically do it himself. Um, and so that's what I would say most about Justin is that. He's coming a long way. It's it's definitely I've seen a huge difference between Philip and the knowledge that Philip had, and then Justin coming into year three. And so I've seen the gaps. And like, yeah, Justin still has a long way to go, but physically he's getting it done. Um, and so that mental part will continue to catch up as he gets just more and more experience around the league, uh, playing with different guys and against different defenses. But he's on the right track. He's got the stuff that it's going to take to actually get him to that that really elite level that he's really close to, but uh, still still trying to just come up you know, be the, considered the best. What's he, what's he like in the huddle? I mean, see, people always ask this because they don't really understand what's going on in the huddle. When we're in the huddle, like there is no small talk. It is straight business. Like we are talking like, Hey, what is the play? What's the snap count? You know, are we trying to do something? What's the check on this call? Like it's straight, like business, like nothing else. No one's like cracking jokes or anything like that. So he comes in, he's deliberate. Like he's like, Hey, this is what's going on. If he has to remind somebody, Hey, make sure you get over um, if the safety drops down. So whatever he's got to tell, tell us. Right. So that's where, that's what, that's what huddle talk is, you know, nothing exciting or anything like that. Just straight business. Um, I got two other topics for you. The first is that you realize, of course, that last year you were a part of the of the play that made America think that Brandon Staley's a total crackpot. That uh, you know, it's fourth and one at your own 18 in the third quarter against the Raiders, and uh he chooses to go for it. And they crowd the line. If it's possible to have 13 in a box, they did. And they just crushed you when you took the yep. ball the line of scrimmage. Do you yeah. remember what you were thinking when he said, go for it? And now what you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about the play. Like, I knew what play we were we were running it was you know we call it duo it's it's up it's up the middle it's it's a <laughs> it's a dirty play you got to get in there and get your face bloody um and so you know when everyone's crowded down usually it ends up you know slicing off of an edge so I was thinking that in my mind and sure enough everything crashed down but I didn't have enough time to get back outside to the edge and get absolutely crushed um but yeah look you know, was it the best call? Maybe, maybe not, you know, uh, but you know, we got to execute as players um, and, you know, they got the better of us there. But no, I I, I like it because this is everything on the line, everything on the line. We know what kind of guys we have. He has trust in us. Um, you know, I think he was just putting it all. I wanted to make sure that it was all out there and it's all in our hands. Uh, and that's what he did. That's what he did. He gave hey, it listen, to us. Like, listen, it. what I say about that, and I'm not trying to stick up for him necessarily, but you guys were six of seven on mm. fourth down plays in that game. So for everybody who says, what an idiot for going for it, 
well, what about the six times he made it? Or you, right. you made it, excuse right. me. That's right, no one's talking about those ones, you know? Yeah. No, that drive, that last drive, yeah, we had like three or four on that last drive alone, or maybe five, whatever. Yeah. yeah that, what a game, I'll never forget that. Yeah, that was a heck of a game. Um, So I always think, like, if if some if somebody asked me about um, about what players go through to get to the NFL, I bet I've told your story 10 times. Mm. And I've told it because there's so many aspects of it that are so cool. And it shows sometimes how tenuous a player's hold on a roster spot in the NFL is because just for those who don't know, when Austin Eckler was coming out of college football four years ago, uh, he came out of a school called Western state in Colorado, Mm -hmm. which is not a football factory. And so he didn't have a really great shot, but you ended up, in the chargers camp anthony lynn was the head coach and i as i found out later the only reason that you ended up in chargers camp is that the guy who anthony lynn wanted to sign ended up signing with the eagles because the eagles offered him more money than the chargers offered him Mm. you know in a free agent contract so then the next spot was yours okay Mm. And I just want you to tell me and tell people who listen to this about what happened when you got signed. And and I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna just say one thing before that. It's that you were so intent on giving this your absolute best shot that you told your family, hey, listen, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the five, six, seven weeks before that listen, I am going all out to make this. If I don't call you back, if I don't text you back, if I don't even, if I'm, if I disappear, don't worry about it. I'm not dead. (laughs) I have to devote every moment to this quest I have to make the chargers. Right. I'll preface that. So take Mm -hmm. me into how you actually made it. So, you know, I saw it as this, you know, I saw it as the biggest opportunity that I've ever been presented in my entire life. And when, when you know how much value the NFL, I didn't even know how much value the NFL could give to me, but I knew it was massive. I knew it was like, okay, there's, there's money, there's legacy. There's all these things that you can do if, if you get into this. And so it was a massive opportunity that came to me. And I wanted to make sure at the end of the day, at the end of my tryout with the charges that there was 100% nothing else that Austin Eckler could have gave them. I was going to make sure everything in my power that I can control, which was my energy, my effort, my preparation was going towards knowing what I'm supposed to do and try to do that at the highest level. And so that's the story where you hear, like I told my family, like, Hey, like I'm going to go train. Um, I dropped out of my last semester of school. I went back and finished after I made the team, but just like wanted to just stop everything and go into this. I was like, this is something that, I can't do what I'm older. I have to do it right now. And so that's, that was my commitment and it still stays to this day. But now I've noticed that I'm not just like that for football. It's like that for other opportunities as well. I'm really just chasing opportunities in my life. Um, And so it carries over, but that's where 
the recognition of that really started was when I was presented that, you know, the, the journey. And then, you know, I was six string and really didn't get really many reps. I was getting reps on scout team, special teams. And that's really where I made my impact running down the field, flying so down. For everybody who doesn't know that for everybody who doesn't know that scout team, special teams is like second team, special teams. Yes. It's not even, Hey, right. we, we're going to really rely on you. You're, you're giving the special teams unit a look as right. to what they're going to see in the game. Right. And, so, and, and so that's that's how far down the depth chart you were. Yeah. 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 I wasn't on the depth chart. <laughs> coach Lynn did. Coach Lynn didn't know my name. He didn't. My head coach did not know my name. He literally came out and said that when I made the team, he's like, this guy, this number three guy came up to me. And I don't know who he was. And so like, that's what I was dealing with. Those were the odds that were gets back. I didn't think about any of that. I just thought about but remember what, what you said to him when yes, you, when you him. met him one day, what yes. did you say to him? So it was the last day of, of spring training. I, uh, it was actually my, my running back coach. I went and told them, coach, I'm making this team. What do I got to do to make this team? And I went to Anthony Lynn after that and said, coach, what do I have to make? What do I have to do to make this team? Um, I went up to him because I, I, like I said, I want to make sure everything was in it. So I went and asked him that. And he's like, okay, you got to make sure you protect the ball, protect the quarterback, and go talk to a special teams coordinator. Um, those are the three things he gave me. So what did I do? All right, I'm going to talk to Coach Stu. And then I went and had like an hour talk with him. Um, but, you know, it was funny. I talked to my running back coach, told him the same thing. I told him that. I was like, I'm going to make, he kind of chuckled. He's like, all right, keep working. He said, keep work, keep working. And I was like, oh yeah, that's all I'm going to be doing. That's all I've been doing. And uh, sure enough, you know, Anthony uh, Fredo, my running back coach still to this day, we stay in touch, but uh, you know, came back and, and ended up making the impact enough. And like I said, actually, I remember this very vividly, the last preseason game, I had a reporter ask me, like, do you think you made the team? I said, I don't know if I made the team, but what I do know is that there was nothing else. Like that was everything. That was all in. If, if I make this team, it was made to be, if I, if I don't, then I got to go do something else. Cause I can't, I couldn't have done anything else. So. So you, didn't you make a hit at some point in training camp that made Anthony Lynn notice you? So what made him notice me the first time he ever gave me any type of recognition was on scout team punt. I was playing the personal protector, the guy that's like in the middle that like is yelling yeah. out the calls. And I, re I it was full speed rep and I was blazing down the field. And like I made my guy miss and just blazing and then fronted up the returner. Like we don't tackle in practice. And then it was in practice and coach Lynn was watching uh, our scout team. He's like, dang, who's that? On? He asked our, our, uh, our special teams coordinators like who's that number three running down and coach Stu's like that's Eckler man he's been giving us a hell of a look out there and he's like okay okay and so that was my first ever recognition you know <laughs> number three not even my real name that's number three <laughs> do you remember what Anthony Lynn told you when you actually made the team that was that was like one of the first things he said he was like because it was a team meeting um he's like i didn't even know who this number three guy was but he made an impact now he's on the team austin eckler you know they give him like they give me a round of applause and everything like that uh, but that was like the first thing yeah okay so I, I gotta fast forward a little bit now and just ask you so now you've been in the league this is your fifth year in the league sixth sixth year in the league sixth. sorry yeah okay this is your sixth year in the league and so you have proven not only that you can be a kamikaze pilot, okay, 
but you've also proven that you could uh, be an all around running back. And, you know, I remember after 2019, after 2019, you, uh, you had, I think, and I'm, I'm going to miss this a little bit, but you had 92 catches, right? Mm-hmm. So you have 92 catches that year and you've got like 1500 yards rushing receiving you have one of the best years as a running back in the league and i just wonder after that league after that year when you have that year you get a new contract you've sort of arrived but do you ever find yourself looking back and 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 just thinking to yourself how how narrow it is and how 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 like you might not have made it and yet you laid everything on the line and you actually did make it you know i i don't think i look back i don't think i really look back until people ask me and that's when i really reminisce and really try to understand and help people by telling that story telling moments of that story or like philosophies of that story that helped me get through that moment. Those are the times that I, I look back and that's where I try to plant seeds and try to help other people, you know, through the things that I've been through as far as just being a long shot and trying to really fully commit myself to something that I was really passionate about and saw as a big opportunity. And so those are the real times I, I look back to reminisce because I'm still trying to push, push the bar. You know, I, I want to see how far I can push this thing, how, how long I can play, how good can I be? Cause I, I wasn't even expecting to be here. I wasn't even trying to go to the NFL. Like I was, I had a, I had a, it's all, I had a planned out. Peter, I was going to go, I was going to go to business school. I got my business degree. I had an internship with a company called Noble Energy. I was going to go work for them. I was going to start getting into real estate and house hacking. And then all of a sudden this football thing presented itself and was like, Hey, try this. And I was like, okay, I went that direction. So for me, like, I'm just like, how far can I go? And then it, it spills over into everything else. It spills over and all the, like how, how far can I take these opportunities that are presented to me on my plate? And it's still football is still my biggest one. And I'm still trying to push that thing as far as I can. One last thing you have a foundation. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting when I see what people put their emphasis on when they have either a foundation or a cause and you founded the Austin Eckler Foundation to help people who you would look in the mirror and see them and think that they could see you. Explain why you did it and what your foundation really is about. Yeah, so I'm glad you're bringing it up because it's right on cue with what we're talking about. Uh, You know, my life, as I said, was looking for opportunities and trying to take advantage of those. And I was presented those by, you know, having success and continue to take advantage in one after another, but to get that going, you need to have an opportunity first, right? You need to have that. And so with the Austin Eckler foundation, what we're doing is going into communities and putting resources in that are lacking in certain communities. I'm talking basic needs uh, for people to get their opportunities started. Um, my favorite project still to this day was up in Watts, California, where, you know, we have, you know, students that their parents or their caretakers are in the low income housing, living out of cars. They don't have washers and dryers. So we found out one of the number two reasons to not come to school is they don't have clean clothes. So what do we do with Austin? We have resources. We went and put washers and dryers in their schools for them so they can come to school. They can do their laundry and they can also feel normal, right? They get their life started. 
Uh, we built gyms. We're actually looking at building another weight room. Weight room, I think that's a perfect place to have opportunities because people might see it as just a weight room, but what it really is, is a character builder. If you're in the weight room, you're learning how to be mentally tough, physically tough, work as a team, push yourself, all these things that can be applied to other things. So building you know, weight rooms, you know, putting resources like clothing, you know, school supplies, all those things, uh, just equipment back into the community that is lacking so that people can use that to get themselves going. So that's what we're doing with the Austin Eckler Foundation. It's it's really a wake behind what I've done in my upbringing, right? And how I've been able to, you know, get myself going on the right track and continue to push forward, trying to help other people get themselves started and do the same. Pretty cool. Very cool. Awesome. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, listen, I want you, when you get off this right now, I want you to go to bed and get some sleep because <laughs> you've got a big, you got a big game on Thursday and you've got to be ready for this game. Okay. Every game, but yeah, I appreciate that. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey, listen, thanks a million. I really appreciate you taking yeah. the time, especially in such a time pressured week. Yeah, no, always a pleasure, Peter. Whenever you want me on, man, I'm here. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Miles, you're out in Los Angeles, and you have had a, a close eye on the Chargers, as well as obviously the Rams. You're close to that organization as well. But... How do you see this game Thursday night? And what were your takeaways coming out of that game on Sunday against the Raiders? Yeah, I think this is one of those really big early season divisional matchups where you kind of start to stack what these teams can are and what they can be later on in the year. And I think obviously when you're talking about the, the Chiefs and the, the Chargers, these two teams met early last season too, and it really was kind of a turnover fest for the Chiefs when they were at Arrowhead. And you know that they don't want to do that this year. I think the Chiefs obviously have such a big target on their back just based on the way that they've dominated that division over the last few years. And they've hosted, you know, the last four AFC conference championship games in their building. So everybody knows that in the AFC, you have to take down the Chiefs if you really want to get to where you want to go. And that's doubly so if you're the Chargers, because 
because they're in your own division. And honestly, when you've got two young quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, like Justin Herbert, and those two dudes are just so darn good. You know, I, I'm looking forward to any time I get to see those two line up against each other, but especially now early in the season where the Chiefs had a great game dominating the Arizona Cardinals and the Chargers were able to hold on and defeat another division rival in the Raiders after they, they came out great on Sunday, Peter. I mean, I, I really thought Justin Herbert in that first half of that game looked like an MVP. He made some outstanding throws, made some outstanding throws in the third quarter as well, that specifically um, that touchdown he had to, Je- to Gerald Everett on the left sideline. But, I mean, he just does things with the football and I've seen articles where they talk about how quick he processes his reads that it's just really, really special. You know, I've, I've seen different quarterbacks cross league. I've covered a lot of games, but there is just something that is so special with the arm talent of Justin Herbert and the way that he can go through things and the way that he can move in the pocket, the way he can create space with his legs. And then sometimes he's moving left and he can still make that throw to his right. I mean, it's, What he does is unbelievable. So if the Chargers can go in there and topple the Chiefs early on in the season, I think that that will say a lot about what the Chargers' potential is here in 2022. Yeah, I I kind of look at this game, especially because of the, you know, in essence, here's what the Chargers are doing this week. They're 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 not practicing they're having right. uh, a couple of walkthroughs today like quite literally <laughs> they are going to have two walkthrough practices they did nothing on monday they're going to have two walkthrough practices today tuesday um they're going to get together on wednesday morning uh don't know what they're going to do wednesday morning but on Wednesday, they fly to Kansas City. So they will have done nothing really physical all week before this game. And obviously, it's an interesting way to approach what arguably is one of your two or three most important games of the season. If you want to beat, if you want to win the AFC West, you've got a minimum split with Kansas City. So here's one of those chances. Justin Herbert has already won a game against Kansas City at Arrowhead, so it's not that foreign to him. And I just look at this basically saying that they're kind of playing with house money, but at the beginning of the season, the reason that I picked the Chargers um, to win this division is that I think they can go four and two in this division, which I think you have to do at least to beat Kansas City. So this is going to be their first test. What was encouraging to me is that last year, by the end of the year, teams are running on them every week like it was a track meet. Uh, They lost the game against the Raiders in week 18, the final game 272, because they simply could not stop the run. And so the way I look at this is they're coming off a game where they allowed whatever, 68 rushing yards, I forget what it was, but they didn't allow a lot of rushing yards and they obviously were, had enough explosive plays 
to play a good team with a very good pass rush and, you know, to play them very well. So I like this matchup and I like it at this time of year. The other reason is I want to see these teams when they're both near full strength. Yeah. And so I like the fact that we're going to see this early. And um, I the, the one other thing about this game that I think is going to be very interesting, especially in a new broadcast sort of venue with Amazon Prime. So I'm kind of looking forward to the telecast. I'm looking yeah. forward to see what a brilliant guy like Fred Goodelli. And look, he, I work for the same place that he does. So that, you know, truth in advertising or whatever, fairness. Um, I think he's going to have some really interesting wrinkles as the guy putting on this show. Uh, and, you know, let's see how Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet do in their first game. Yeah, you know, it was trippy a little bit when they did uh, that preseason game, 49ers and Texans, and you hear Kirk yeah. Herbstreet talking about the NFL, and you're like, huh, like that's, I mean, you, I've heard it. I know that they've done games with Chris Fowler, but like to hear Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, that was, it, it tripped me out a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, those two guys yeah. are at some of the best who have ever done it at what they do. So to bring them together, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I mean, you brought it up earlier. Is anybody going to know exactly where to go to just watch this game on Amazon Prime? Because the one thing I thought was interesting was that, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty savvy tech guy and I'm not like the most savvy in the world, but I understand how to use apps, you know, that's kind of, I guess my generational, I don't know, talent, if you will. But when you went to Amazon Prime for that early preseason game, right, it, you had to go through, I don't know, two, three, four menus just to get to the game. I don't, I didn't really understand why there wasn't just a watch now button that happened exactly when you open Prime. Or if, I mean, if it's, I don't know, what is it going to be seven o'clock, 730 Eastern when they start their pre-show stuff? Shouldn't that just be the one thing that comes up when you open Amazon Prime? Because Right. I mean, if somebody doesn't want to watch that, fine. Just hit the back button on your on your remote. I and feel be pretty right. sure yeah. that I feel pretty sure that by Thursday night they will. And I've got this yeah. new fun thing that I'm sure everybody's going to hear me and say, OK, old man, time to go back to bed. I've got this new device <laughs> called the fire stick, which I've never used before, but I'll be using it Thursday night, you know, to try to find. I think we have Amazon Prime. My wife and I both have it. So. I should be able to figure out some way to get this done. You have it, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've got it. I've had it yeah. for years. It was very great uh, in college when you needed all your textbooks shipped to you. Amazon Prime shipping textbooks. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> let's, let's, hit the, um, let's hit the other topics du jour. Um, I'll ask you the question. Should Dallas stick with Cooper Rush? in the wake of the Dak Prescott injury and the fact he's out probably for five or six weeks, should they stick with Cooper Rush or should they go out and try to pry a quarterback from some team? You know, it's funny because obviously Jimmy Garoppolo would be the one where I think everybody is kind of like, okay, well, could they go get him? But Garoppolo's got a no trade clause. And I don't know if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, why I would be interested in Dallas where, you know, it's only going to be a five, six, seven, maybe week stint 
that I'm starting here. And I don't really know that offense. You know, if, if he were going to someplace like Miami or the Jets or someplace where they have that scheme already that comes from the Kyle Shanahan playbook, then I would understand it a little bit more. But, you know, a buddy of mine was like, man, I wish that the, uh, the Cowboys could maybe go get Gardner Minshew, but like the Eagles aren't trading him to Dallas. So that's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, at this point, I, I just feel like, You've got Cooper Rush. You made your bed with your backup QB. Just lay in it. Because unless you're the 2017 Eagles, like usually when your starting quarterback goes out for a little bit, your season is uh, going to come off the rails a little bit. And that's just the nature of the quarterback position. Look, I'll tell you what would worry me if I were the Cowboys right now. We didn't do anything very well in this game, even Mm -hmm. before Dak Prescott got hurt. Uh, 14 of 29 in this game. Uh, They did not play the run well. Uh, They gave up 152 rushing yards to Tampa, which is not a premier running team. And, you know, to me, somebody asked me before the season, geez, you didn't put Dallas as one of your seven playoff teams in the NFC. Why? I say, it's always something with Dallas. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be this year, but every year it is always something. And now, obviously I feel bad for Dak Prescott. He's such a good person. Um, And you never want to root against anybody. I feel bad for him, but this is falls into the category of it's always something with them. And unless Cooper Rush plays well in his absence and I'm not saying how many games he has to win but unless he plays well uh, a mountain of crap is going to come down on owner slash GM Jerry Jones's head for not backstopping a position where the quarterback in recent years has gotten hurt some so that to me is the biggest issue going in here I don't think they're going to make a trade I don't think they're going to do anything different than Cooper Rush for the next month plus. But man, there's a lot of pressure on Cooper Rush to play competently. Yeah, and it's interesting too to me because you've seen them backstop that position well in the past with Andy Dalton, right? And he was there in 2020. And obviously things didn't necessarily work out as to, you know, the Cowboys still being good enough to make the playoffs that year. That didn't happen. But at the same time, when you know what has happened there in the past, you have to feel like, man, okay, can I at least tread water with the backup quarterback that I have? I don't know that Dallas is going to be able to do that. And, you know, I mean, you said not having them in your playoff field before the season. I picked them to be seventh. I picked the Eagles to win the division. Because to me, you can see exactly how the Eagles got better. I don't really know how Dallas got better over the off season. I know how they got they a lot of people left. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, last night we we're watching Gregory pass rush for the Denver Broncos, not the Dallas Cowboys, you know, Amari Cooper is in Cleveland. And I know the contract situation was this and was that, but like they didn't get better. You have other teams in that division that did. And, you know, if Carson Wentz, can play like he did at the end of that game for Washington. Who knows what the commanders can be? Like, is, is it out of the question for Dallas to finish third? Uh, is it out of the question for Dallas to finish fourth if things continue the way that they did with the Giants? I don't know. 
Could you imagine if the New York Giants finished ahead of the Dallas Cowboys in the standings? I mean, first of all, we've already appointed Sean Payton the coach of the Cowboys. And, yeah. you know, for next year. I mean, could Sean Payton be the coach of the Cowboys by Thanksgiving? Anyway, we'll see. <laughs> Let's go to how much trouble are Cincinnati and the Rams in? Let me... I'm going to take Cincinnati for a second, Miles, and I want you right. to take the Rams. Let's and I'm going to tell you what really worried me about the Bengals on Sunday. And, and okay, look, I know that the strength of the Pittsburgh Steelers is in their defensive front, and mm-hmm. that's pre the loss of T.J. Watt, okay? But they, the, the strength is in the front. But with the caving in of an offensive line that the Bengals spent so much time and free agent, uh, you know, free agent money and so much of their cap. This is what they wanted to fix in the, in the off season. And when I saw that game against Pittsburgh, they have not fixed that line. And, 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 and to go forward knowing that your whole franchise and the future of your franchise is Joe Burrow. If he has to run for his life and get as much pressure as he had on Sunday, because quite honestly, that looked to me as much pressure as Burrow was under in the Super Bowl. They're in big, big trouble. I think turning it over five times, total outlier. Every quarterback from Sid Luckman to Dan Fouts to to Dan Marino, you know, has had those kind of games over the years. So that doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is the pressure on Joe Burrow. What bothers you about the Rams coming off the Thursday night game? Well, I would say much the same. It's the pressure, right? I mean, Buffalo was able to generate so much pressure with just four guys on Matthew Stafford. And when that happens, you see the result, right? The Rams could not get anything going offensively, particularly in that second half. And if that's the case, right, then that team is going to look like that. But, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen them have kind of bad performances based off of pressure before. I go back to last year when they played Tennessee at home and a sort of similar phenomenon happened. Matthew Stafford got pressured all day long. He looked really bad. That offense couldn't get into any sort of rhythm. And then Tennessee ended up winning that game. And that Tennessee is one of the class of the AFC teams. At least they were last year, right? They were the number one overall seed, but I think Buffalo could be very similar. So it's not necessarily that I think the Rams are totally broken. Like they've got such a horrible Super Bowl hangover. They're not going to be able to do anything. No, but I think it's fair to be concerned about an offensive line and an offensive unit that allows that much pressure on the quarterback, because if that's what's going to happen over the course of the season, the Rams are not going to be anywhere close to what they were in 2021. You know, the, the most times that Matthew Stafford has been sacked since he came to the Rams happened in this game against Buffalo. Seven sacks, 16 total pressures. Four of the five games that he's been pressured the most in his Rams tenure, four of those five games they lost. Um, <clears throat> there's no but question the one Sean McVay has got to figure out a way. Uh, the one they didn't, and you pointed this out in your column, Peter, that was the NFC Championship game 
last year yep. when they beat San Francisco. So, I mean, it's not that they can't handle it. They've shown that they have the ability to be able to move past stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, four, four of the five are L's. So that tells you a lot about where they are. Third topic. Uh, can the Giants play a different kind of football? A very heavy run-based football. If Saquon Barkley stays healthy, can they keep doing this? And can they somehow, some way, find a way to contend in a year that totally looked like a lost season? Yeah, you know, I think that they can. I mean, I'm not sure how exactly sustainable it is for Saquon Barkley to run as he did. I mean, I was very impressed by that game, by Brian Dayball and what Mike Kafka did call in the plays. I, I just was not expecting them to beat Tennessee. And I loved the call from Dayball to go for two. I, you, you're a first-time head coach. You're in your first game. Do it. Show the stones, you know? What do you have to lose? Go out there and show that aggressiveness. I love what he told you about um, going around to those defensive guys and saying, hey, if we get this touchdown, you want to you get it in there? You want to go for it? And they're like, hell yeah. And they say, okay, Kafka, get your best two-point play ready. And then, of course, he goes a little shovel pass. And, yeah, my Kafka once coached for the Chiefs. All right, you can tell when he's doing those kinds of things. Um, so I <laughs> yeah, love that. Right. I love that. And, and I think that if they can play like that, then you might see the Giants become one of those teams where it's like, oh, man, they, they didn't look like anything last year. But now new staff, you know, you got new guys evaluating the talent. You got new guys coaching up the talent. It can make a real difference. What's amazing to me of all the amazing things, like if I had had a, if I was in a survivor pool this weekend, I would have picked Tennessee. So I'd be really? gone. Okay. But even <laughs> more amazing than all the survivor pools that are dead right now because of uh, the Giants beating Tennessee is the fact that the Tennessee Titans just allowed 238 rushing yards in a game. Yes. That blows me away against the New York Giants, 238 yards. I will guarantee you that that is not going to, I, 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 I will, I'll make a vow. No Mike Vrabel team this season will allow 238 yards rushing in a game again. That is a flat-out guarantee, but good news for the Giants. All right, the New York Jets. So for those who don't care about the New York Jets or who perhaps missed this, what happened with Robert Sala in the wake of their opening day 24-9 loss to the Baltimore Ravens, Robert Sala in his press conference on Monday said two things that I just said, man, why did you say those things? Number one, in my opinion, we did not get beat. We lost. Those are two totally different things. No, they're not. No, no. You know what they are? They're two different things semantically, but there's no difference in getting beat and losing. None. Here's the other thing he said. We're taking receipts on all the people who continually mock and say that we aren't going to do anything. I'm taking receipts, and I'm going to be more than happy to share them with all of you when it's all said and done. That was in his press conference. 
A little bit later in the afternoon, he went on the Michael, Michael K show uh, on ESPN radio in New York, and he said, I can't wait to shove it down everyone's throat when it comes around. And I just say, you know, you're four and 14 as a head coach. Four and 14. <laughs> and those are the kind of things that you say that absolutely unequivocally come back to haunt you that make more problems for you than you need to have. And again, I'm all for guys speaking their mind, Miles. Yeah. But I'm not for guys saying something that is going to make another roadblock, another talking point for all the people who say same old Jets. How did you see it? Oh, I, I see it very similarly. I mean, maybe something <clears throat> like that will help galvanize the locker room. Maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, they're still going to trot out Joe Flacco this week, right, unless they have a change of heart and they decide they want Mike White, which, frankly, I would rather see Mike White play at quarterback than I would Joe Flacco at this point. But, you know, what do yeah. I know? I guess I've just... I'm, I'm just a sports writer, but I don't really understand why you feel a need to say all of these things so publicly when they really could come back and bite you in the rear end. I mean, there, there's just, like you said, there's no reason to do it. And look, I, it could be fine. They could go out there. They could start shocking us, you know, playing the Browns. Like, I don't know. I don't really see it, but man, if the jets don't do well, I mean, then we have all the receipts and all we're going to do is say, <laughs> man, what was Robert Sala doing? Like, I just, there's yeah, no, po yeah. there's no net positive from this. There just really isn't, yeah. you know, just, just go and coach the team, man, get some wins first. And then you come back and you say, ah, remember when you guys all wrote us off? Like, but before you do it, like, come on now, don't do that. Before you do it, you know, you've got to win games. You just yeah. do, because otherwise you're just, you're digging yourself a hole. Uh, you're giving yourself more problems. Look, there's 94 other things that we could talk about, but we are fresh out of time. Uh, the debut Peter King, Miles Simmons uh, combo platter on this podcast. We're going to have to say goodnight, even though it's during the day. So, Miles Simmons, thanks so much for joining me this week. This has been the Peter King Podcast. We're going to be back next week. I have no idea what's going to happen during the course of this week. That starts on Thursday night. Some interesting games on Sunday. And then the ESPN ABC twin bill on Monday, which I'm still a little bit confused about that. Starting one game at 7, which I like, Eastern time, and the other game at 8.30, um, I guess everybody's going to need two screens. I see that, but just not that big a fan of what they're doing. But anyway, we'll see how it works with the ratings. So thanks for joining me this week on the Peter King Podcast. Miles Simmons and I will be back next week for another edition of the Peter King Podcast.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.